He dawdled in the first service, so he's a little more punctual today. Good morning, Living Stones. First of all, let me explain why I'm up here today instead of your regular pastor. Uh, I'm here today to make a confession. I have an issue this morning with pride. Sam has mentioned from this pulpit or this stand that uh, I hold the second longest tenure at this church as the preacher. He also mentioned his tenure is the longest. So now that I think about it, that is said with some pride. And so I usually try to make some lame joke about his absence and me filling in for him. However, this morning's different. When I was doing the preaching, one of the significant uh, achievements and resume enhancers among preachers uh, in the a cappella churches of Christ, like I was, was to be invited to be a speaker at one of the affiliated college lectureships. And the best I could ever do to achieve that was to be an attendee at one of those lectureships. And I attended some in Tennessee and Arkansas and Michigan. But this week, the DNA to which I was a half contributor will be speaking at the Abilene Christian University's annual lectureship in Abilene, Texas. It's an event which is uh, drawing thousands from across the country. So I have to admit some pride in our pastor and my son being highly regarded enough to receive that invitation. And I know he'll do a great job, although he's very nervous about it. But I wanted you to know, with the disclosure of my parental bias, uh, how blessed we are here at Living Stones for his gifts and leadership. And so now I'll revert to my usual snarky humor with reference to Sam. And uh, he'll be back next week speaking next Sunday to wrap up this series. And what a series this is. This is week three of how to have a good funeral. When Sam asked me to fill in for him this week and I asked what I should preach on, his response was, and I quote, Dad, this series was made for you. (laughs) Now, I don't think he meant by that that he was anxious for my demise and my funeral, but rather he knows that for many years I have been quite obsessed with the subject of death and dying. It's not that I am more morbid than most, although that's possible, but rather that I have been in touch with death and dying for a long time and have developed some patterns for dealing with this depressive subject. My first exposure to death was in 1959. Uh, One of my uncles had died at the age of 42. I was 10 years old, and I was really curious about everyone's reactions to it. And I remember sitting in the Kofer Fessler Funeral Home in Elwood, Indiana, and I remember staring at Uncle Bob's casket and his body lying in the casket. And believe it or not, I thought I noticed movement, such as the imagination of a 10-year-old. But it was the first time in my memory, as I looked down the row of my family, the first time in my memory of seeing my father weeping. In 1961, my family was on vacation in Arkansas visiting my father's parents there. Uh, But we were called back from that because my grandma Collins was dying. This is a picture of my grandmother and my mother and uh, my aunt, one of my mother's sisters, and the little guy carried by my grandmother is me, so it's an old picture. Uh, And you should have tasted her sugar cookies. But she was at home in a coma, and uh, the family was gathered around the hospital bed that was in her living room, and I witnessed for the first time someone passing from this life. And again, I was not so much caught up in grief, 
but in curiosity about the process. And over the years, I've been present when others have died. I was a young preacher here, and one of our deacons here, Art Harden, had been afflicted with cancer. He'd been diagnosed three and a half years before with cancer and had, at the end of it, been in a coma in the old St. Joe Hospital in Mishawaka. And uh, he'd been in a coma for several days, and one day one of our elders here and I decided we'd go up to visit with his wife and daughter who were keeping vigil in his hospital room. And I remember that just after we walked into the room and began to converse in low tones with Irma and Linda, that suddenly Art woke up and sat up in his bed, and he looked around at each one of us in the room, and then he fell back in death. I've related to many of you about my experience in identifying the body of my wife's sister who had been raped and murdered in 1977 and her body thrown in the Maumee River over in Fort Wayne and was there for 10 days. And I'll never forget the smell of the river water as I stood there next to the Allen County medical examiner and a Catholic chaplain who was on duty that day and surrounded by Allen County police and Fort Wayne police officers as I identified her. No arrests have ever been made in connection with that crime. But I did not sleep for the next three nights. I have presided over more than 100 funeral services over the years. And as a result of that, I have developed a morning routine. Every morning, after I take my meds, and these ones for the evening and ones for the morning, I go online and I look through the obituaries in the South Bend Tribune, the Kokomo Tribune, and the Indianapolis Star, to see if I've found anyone that, has, that I know that is left before me. And from this daily exercise, I learned this year that on my 65th birthday that a girl I had a crush on in the 8th grade, uh, a crush that uh, made her the recipient of my clumsy and over-boisterous flirtation that knocked the books out of her hands, and our math teacher, Mr. Meyer, saw it and slammed me into the lockers and made me understand that this was not to happen and I should have picked them up and apologized, and he was right to do that, but today he would be in jail and Kokomo Community Schools would be paying for my college. Uh, but this young lady who was the object of my attention died on my birthday this year. Even this past Friday, I got an email from a former colleague of mine at the IRS who is six months older than me and retired three months before I did. And he, at the end of my career, he sat two cubicles over from me. When we, but back in the 90s, in the early 2000s, I managed employees in the Fort Wayne office, and I was managing employees in that office, uh, and he sent me an email telling me about the recent death of one of those employees that I had supervised who had retired and moved to Michigan, how she had suffered a massive stroke, and after a few days had passed, she died at the age of 58. So healthy or not, death seems to be always on my mind, and I know that mine is coming one of these days and that there is much more sand in the bottom of my hourglass than in the top. And don't make any jokes about my physique. So focused on this subject have I been that one of the local owners of a funeral home offered me a job after I retired. I guess tax collecting and funerals do seem connected somehow, but I didn't really want to do that after retirement, and besides, he's now deceased. And about a month ago, Diane and I took our only vacation this year, and we went up to the Boston and New England area, and you know where we spent a lot of our times? That's right, in cemeteries. Here's a picture of where Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, whose grave I had a heck of a time finding, uh, where he is buried. And so that's why Sam said that this series was right up my alley. 
And our lesson today is taken from the last chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes where we've been taking our lessons, chapter 12. Now, even though we're dealing today with the concluding chapter of this Old Testament book, that is, that doesn't make this the concluding lesson of the series. Sam has an important lesson next week to tie all of this together, and I want to urge you to be here for that lesson. Before this morning, let's turn to chapter 12 of the book of Ecclesiastes, and remember that it is universally accepted that King Solomon wrote this book toward the end of his life and is imparting wisdom regarding his observations of life, a wisdom that we know was a gift from God. And remember that Solomon had everything a man could want. He had great wisdom and insights that were not only gifts from God, but made him sought after for counsel by many other earthly rulers. Uh, He had fabulous wealth that in his day and age would have eclipsed Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and Carlos Slim and the entire Walton family of Walmart fame. He had 300 beautiful wives and 700 gorgeous concubines, a situation that would make the 21st century guy unable to comment beyond wow. Although now that I think about it, he probably didn't get much time for himself in the bathroom. But that kind of existence... He was living that few mortals have ever known, and yet Solomon was mortal. And toward the end of his life, he writes this concluding chapter to his backward look at what really matters in life. So beginning in verse 1, he writes, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop. When the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim. When the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fade. When people rise up at the sound of birds but all their songs grow faint. And what he's describing in these verses here are that the strength of youth and the vitality of life is ebbing and going away. And that's why those of us in our 60s and older often get discouraged that we are not physically capable of doing the things that just a few years ago we wouldn't have given second thought to. I remember in 1991 when Justice Thurgood Marshall was retiring from the Supreme Court, I was in my car listening to the radio and I remember listening to a news conference during which a reporter asked him why he was retiring at that time. And I'll never forget his answer, and it's become more meaningful to me with the progression of time. His answer was, I'm growing old and falling apart. So what Solomon is describing here is the ebbing of the life forces. And he goes on to say, when people are afraid of heights and dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred, then people go to their eternal home, And mourners go about the streets. So remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken. Before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well. And the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Now if we're not careful to see what the teacher is trying to communicate to us, we may mistakenly look on this message as a depressive downer and start asking for the Kool-Aid. But that's not what he's trying to convey at all. He's trying to get us to focus on what will truly establish the worth of our walk on earth. And so I continue with verse 9. 
Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study worries the body. And I thought I'd get some audible amens from the middle schoolers and the senior schoolers uh, when I read that. But now all has been heard, and here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. In other words, when you get to the end of life, what gives it purpose and meaning is to fear or honor God and keep his commandments. Or as he began his conclusion, remember your creator in the days of your youth. At the end of Solomon's life, all of his many pursuits and accomplishments and monuments and education, all of which were indeed extraordinary, did not surpass this one simple requirement for successful living life and qualifying for a good funeral. Some of our members here at Living Stones work with folks who are at the end stage of life. And here I'm thinking of folks like Linda La- uh, Teresa Lover or Linda Templeton, who recently began working with hospice, uh, Jennifer Costello, uh, and there may be others in nursing and, and, and palliative care that I'm not aware of who offer compassionate care for those who have a very limited time left on earth, either through disease or old age or a combination of the both. I think it takes a special heart to be able to assist folks who are facing what we will all face, which is death. And I recently came across a story about a British woman named Bonnie Ware, who after many years of uh, feeling unfulfilled at her job, set out to find something that resonated with her soul that she could do. And so she ended up in palliative care, that is, making those who could not be cured more comfortable and lessening their physical pain, such as our hospice workers do. She spent many years helping those who were dying, and sometime later she compiled a list of the five most common regrets expressed by people she cared for. If we, like Solomon, could look back on our lives at the end of our lives, what would we regret? Here's what Bonnie Ware's patients express as their greatest regrets. One is, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. This was the most common regret of all. When people realize that their life is almost over and look back clearly on it, it is easy to see how many dreams have gone unfulfilled. Most people had not honored even half of their dreams and had to die knowing that it was due to the choices they made or not made. Health brings a freedom that very few of us realize until we no longer have it. That's why the teacher in Ecclesiastes counsels, remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Another was, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. That came from every male patient that Bonnie Ware had nursed. They missed their children's youth and their partner's companionship. Women also spoke of this regret, but as most were from an older generation, many of the female patients had not been breadwinners. All of the men that she had nursed deeply regretted spending so much of their lives on the treadmill of a work existence. Back in 1987, I was promoted to a management position with IRS in the Gary office in Gary, Indiana. And so for the next two and a half years, I commuted each day between South Bend and Gary and then later Merrillville when we moved our office there. 
and it was a 135-mile round-trip commute every day. I would leave the house before 6 a.m., I'd get home at 7 p.m., eat supper, go to bed, and do it all over again the next day. And in the winter, with the one-hour difference between Lake County and St. Joe County, uh, I got home even later. And when I finally got transferred back to South Bend at the end of 1989 and had to go back to the Merrillville office for whatever reason it was, I thought to myself, how did I do that every day? I didn't think anything about it at the time I was doing it because I had to do it to get ahead. But it was also Sam's junior and senior year in high school and the end of Sarah's middle school and the beginning of her high school years, and I just wasn't around. I know it put an extra burden on Diane and the kids, and the kids may not have won me as the old man hanging around them anyway, but as I look back on my life, I can truly understand this regret. Thirdly, people that she had nursed said, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Many people express their feelings in order to keep peace with others not to really express their feelings. As a result, they settled for a mediocre existence and never became who they were truly capable of becoming. And many of her patients developed illnesses relating to the bitterness and resentment that they carried as a result. Fourthly, they said, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. One of my favorite sentimental songs from the 1960s was from Simon and Garfunkel's Bookends album that they recorded in 1968. It's called Old Friends, and it has a somewhat morose melody to it with these words. Old friends, old friends, sat on the park bench like bookends. A newspaper blowing through the grass falls on the round toes of the high shoes of the old friends. Old friends, winter companions, the old men, lost in their overcoats, waiting for the sunset. The sounds of the city sifting through the trees settle like dust on the shoulders of the old friends. Can you imagine us years from now, years from today, sharing a park bench quietly? How terribly strange to be 70. Old friends, memory brushes of the same years, silently sharing the same fears. Time it was and what a time it was. A time of innocence, a time of confidences. Long ago it must be. I have a photograph. Preserve your memories. That's all that's left to you. Often her patients would not truly realize the full benefits of old friends until their dying weeks. It would not always be possible to track them down. Many had become so caught up in their own lives that they had let golden friendships slip by over the years. There were many deep regrets about not giving friendships the time and the effort that they deserved. Everyone misses their friends when they're dying. It's hard to believe that my 50th high school reunion is less than three years away. And some of those guys that I ran around with every day and who at that time I couldn't imagine ever losing touch, I haven't seen in over 47 years. Friends become more precious than wealth or accomplishments when we are at the end of our lives. After all, who will mourn us when we're gone? And fifthly, they listed, I wish I had let myself be happier. This is a surprisingly common regret that she found. Many did not realize until the end that happiness is a choice. They had stayed in old patterns and habits. The so-called comfort of familiarity overflowed into their emotions as well as their physical lives. Fear of change had them pretending, pretending to others and to themselves that they were content. When deep within, they longed to laugh properly and have silliness in their life again. 
Too many years of life at the IRS has kept people from knowing that I was the class clown when I was in school. It's true. One of the reasons that the undertaker was going to offer me a job in retirement was how I look on the outside, somber and stoic, even though I'm smiling on the inside. What? You don't see I'm smiling now? Now, why am I sharing these regrets that Mrs. Ware gleaned from her terminal patients? Because we're still here. We still have time to recognize what regrets we might have at the end of our lives and make the effort to remember our Creator and the opportunities provided for a life well lived. It's never too late for us to remember our Creator until it's too late. That's why the teacher says to do it early in your life. The earlier in our lives that we recognize who made us and the purpose for which He made us, the fewer regrets there will be when we have to face that end of our lifetime. That's why it's so important for you parents of children to make every effort to give them an awareness of God and His awesomeness and His importance in their lives. And you do that by demonstrating His importance in your life. You have no greater task than to train up your children. The dividends in their lives and in the lives of your grandchildren will be greater than any stock you can purchase or invest in or any 401k plan that you might have or any bank account balance or land that you might acquire. I want to take this occasion to pay tribute to the inheritance that my parents gave me. It isn't material wealth. My father worked and retired from the railroad. My mother retired from Indiana, Michigan Power as a draftsman or a draftswoman. And all the time I was growing up, we lived in a small two-bedroom house in Kokomo, Indiana. I had three brothers. Now think about that, four boys sharing a 9 by 12 bedroom. Every year they went into debt to provide us with a good Christmas celebration, but the toys would break or we would outgrow them. And they did everything they could to provide, but we don't have a monetary inheritance from them, and Meemaw is still on a first-name basis with the operators at QBC. <laughs> but what they did was give us a spiritual foundation of belief in a creator and his son Jesus and an example of commitment to that faith. Once they were all in in that faith, we didn't miss a service. And I'm talking about Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday morning worship, Sunday evening worship, Wednesday night Bible study, and any church event that happened in addition to those weekly events. And by establishing the faith in our youth, we all sought out wives that would share that same commitment. And so Diane was reared by her mother to have that same commitment to faith. And when Sam and Sarah came to our union, they didn't stand a chance of escaping. And we've been blessed with five grandchildren who are heirs of the faith that was handed down by Jean and Mary Lou Barrington and Donna Brakes. So parents, what is more important to task for you than to make sure your kids have a foundation of knowing their creator in the days of their youth? You ought to have them here every week and at every opportunity. You ought to be demonstrating that your creator in the days of their youth, is your number one priority in life. Create a life for them that is founded on faith, that is lived out in your life, and that in the end of your life, you won't have as a regret not providing the most important legacy that you could provide to your children. This same Solomon made another statement in the Old Testament book of Proverbs, chapter 22, verse 6, that's relevant. He said, start off a child on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Moms and dads, it's well and good if you leave your kids large sums of money and property for them to blow after you're gone. But if you want to leave them what will last into future generations, 
Help them to remember their Creator in the days of their youth, and you're going to have a good funeral. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, Chuck, that's all well and good. If you, in your youth, and you can get that spiritual grounding and recognition of the Creator's priority, but if youth has passed you by, and life choices have been made that you did not give uh, get that youthful grounding, what about those who have moved through life and made mistakes and lost those opportunities? And I say, if you can ask that question, that means you still have time to correct course and remember your Creator. On this vacation that Diane and I took last month that I was telling you about, we didn't just go to cemeteries, although for us we call that a hot date. <laughs> we also went to Niagara Falls, which now that I think about it, uh, a lot of hot dates follow going to Niagara Falls, but we didn't just get married. Uh, <clears throat> so we went to Niagara Falls and we saw the majesty and power of those falls as the Niagara River plummets some 180 feet over the falls. and It's really an awesome sight if you've never seen it. And we took that little uh, made of the mist voyage on the boat and got all wet. But what I found out is before the Niagara River reaches the falls, and there are violent rapids that, as it approaches the falls, but further upstream it's quite peaceful and boats are allowed on the river. But as the boats glide down the river, they will at some point encounter a sign that's posted that says, Do you have an anchor? And if they go much further, they'll see a second sign that says, do you know how to use it? <laughs> you haven't reached the falls yet, and youth is a relative term. Even at 65, I'm still a youth to my mother at 88. But the point I'm trying to make is that if you are hearing my voice right now, you still have an opportunity to remember your Creator. Because that silver cord has not been severed or that golden bowl broken. But we are moving toward the falls, and that is the point that the teacher is making. And once we move over the falls, I believe that a whole new awareness of God awaits us. One of my good friends through the years was Dana Newport's late husband, Dick. Here's a picture of our bowling team that was taken back during the 1976-77 years. Now, Dick's the one with the perm. And believe it or not, I tried that once, but it didn't work out so well. Now, every one of those guys in that picture is in their mid-60s or early 70s, of course, except for Dick, who has passed on. And over the years, Dick credited me with knowledge of the Scripture that I didn't really deserve as praise, but he felt that I knew more in that area than he did, and he offered respect to me because of it. And little did he know that uh, I envied his knowledge of mechanical things and how little I knew in those areas. But at the end of his life, the last two years, he had steadily declining health, and finally he died in his home over here on Altgeld Street, lying in a hospital bed that they'd put in their dining room so that in his last days he could look out the window at the squirrels and birds that came into their backyard. And I remember Diana calling us as soon as he passed, and Sam and I went to the house before the hospice worker came to wash his body. And as I sat there looking into the dining room at Dick's body, it dawned on me how much more Dick knew at that time than I could ever hope to know about what lies beyond this life. And I was grateful that he came to know his creator before he went over the falls. Do you want to have a good funeral? Do you want to minimize the regrets as you move toward the end of life? Then let's once again meditate on what the teacher says. Again, Ecclesiastes 12. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. 
Before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop. When the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim. When the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fade. When people rise up at the sound of birds but all their songs grow faint. When people are afraid of heights and dangers in the streets. When the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred. Then people will go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bow is broken. Before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well. And the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Would you please bow with me? Holy God, our Father in heaven, Father, we thank you for the life that you have given us, and we ask you now, Father, to be with us as we seek to remember you as our creator, as our redeemer, as our king, as our God. I pray, Father, that our lives will be lived from this point forward so that, Father, when we cross over to the other side, those who are left behind to mourn, remember how we do remember you as our creator. We ask in the name of your holy son, Jesus.